2 Kings chapter 5 tonight as we continue through 2 Kings, looking now at Elisha, uh, have been for a couple chapters, who was the servant, uh, the disciple, if you will, of Elijah. Elijah trained him. Uh, Elijah uh, was taken by God, and Elisha had asked that he would get a double portion of his spirit if he if he saw him uh, when God took him, and he did see him. And Elisha now is the prophet for Israel. Uh, in the northern tribes. And we've been really looking at the correlation, not just the miracles, uh, which are greater than Elijah's. They have more depth to them, but also how they correlate and they really have the New Testament hidden in them uh, of salvation and sanctification and continuation that we will see. And so in chapter 4, when it opened, we see, uh, you know, God using empty vessels, putting oil in them, which is a type of the Holy Spirit. And that's a type of bringing them to salvation when he seals them and their debt is paid when that happens. And that's what it says in 4, 7. And then in 8, we've seen the Shumanite woman, which after they get saved, that person should make a place in their house, in their home, in their life, for the word of God. And the Shumanite woman realizes the holiness of the prophet who brings the word of God, uh, who is, is, which is how um, God spoke in the Old Testament. You can see that in Hebrews 1.1. And then she makes this place. She bears fruit, has a son, and that fruit uh, actually has a stroke out in the sun. And the word of God brings him back to life, born again, if you will, or revives him from the dead. And then we see the, the prophets, the sons of the prophets, there's a famine, a dearth, it's called in the old King James, which I had never heard that word. It's verse 38 of, of chapter 4. And they were making a pot of stew, a great pot to feed all of the sons of the prophets. And one of the men went out and collected some wild gourds, and they turned out to be poison. And so uh, they yelled, there's poison in the pot, man of God. And they, they knew where to get help from, was from the word of God, is what we see. And I believe the pot could be indicative of our heart. And that in our hearts, there's already poison. Listen to me. Because you come to salvation and self is still there. Your ideas are still there. Your training is still there in deception from living underneath the sway of the wicked one in the world. And you can't get it out. What you have to do is add the new ingredients. So the man of God puts flour in it. Which is, uh, uh, flour I believe represents the bread. And Jesus is the bread of life. And the way you deal with your heart, your pot, with the food that you've been eating now spiritually, is you continue to add the ingredients that God would give you to cleanse your heart. So you can't get the poison out. It's already in there. It's permeated all over your heart. 
You can't get death out unless you put life in. You got to put the flour in, the ingredients in. How do you do that, Greg? Well, you continue to put the word, prayer, and fellowship and confess your sin. By faith, God cleanses that and you can continue to eat and live your life and you are positionally sanctified. But then you have to begin to walk it out. And so we see, again, the next thing is about eating also, which, listen, we're always going to talk about the spiritual. When we begin to eat, when we come to salvation, and now we have to eat, we have to always look to uh, the bread of life, the word of God. And he talks about a man bringing bread of the first fruits. So we begin to see the correlation where we are to be giving the first fruits of our life to God. Everything has to be with the first fruits. And we talked last week, Jesus is the first fruit from the grave, which helps us to know by faith that if he's the first fruit, it speaks of future fruit, which is us as we grow. And then when he comes to get to church, there'll be a harvest of the other souls that have listened, that have been obeying, that have followed the word of God. And as we closed in last lesson, it's chapter 4, verse 44. It says, so he set it before them. He set the food, the bread before them. And they ate and had some left over according to the word of the Lord. Listen, we should live our lives in everything that we do according to the word of the Lord. Not according to the word of the world. Not according to the world. Uh, and, and it's schools of higher learning. If it doesn't line up with the word of God, we should not live our life. We should not eat that. We should not digest that. That's adding more poison to the pot. We always want to add the word of God. Eat the word of God. And there'll be some left over to hand out to others. According to the word of the Lord, our scripture memory verse this week. Your word I have hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you. That's how you eat the word of God. That's how you take in the spiritual nourishment of the word of God. You hide it. You learn it. You meditate on it. You memorize it. You share it with others. You own it. And it should be the first fruits of your life when you get up in the morning. Get up early. Spend some time with God. Get up early, spend some time in the Word of God. It's amazing when you get up early and you spend time with God, you spend time in the Word of God, you listen, He prepares you for that day. When you get up and give the first fruits of your heart to God, He'll give you a word, and then you'll be, don't be surprised when you're at work or where you're, wherever you're at in your day, and you go, oh, wait a minute, this verse, this truth, this bread of life applies to what's going on right now. So many times I'll run into somebody and God will have given me the word to actually speak to them as he speaks to me early in the morning as I'm in prayer. So we come to chapter five. Listen, salvation, make a place for the word, begin to eat the proper things, add the word of God, give him your first fruits and then continue, abide, remain, keep washing. Keep allowing him to wash you, to keep the poison out, to wash the poison out. Listen, New Testament, what's that mean? Sanctification. It begins with positional sanctification. You're washed, you're clean, you're pure. Then you begin practical. 
where you're walking it out daily and you're obeying his word. And part of obeying it is confessing when you're not. You obey what his word says. And we're going to see this in the life of Naaman. Listen to me. Let's start in chapter 5, verse 1. Now Naaman. Naaman means pleasantness. Pleasantness. That's pretty cool. Naaman is a Gentile. So you're seeing to, up till now it's always been Jewish people. Now you're seeing a type of Gentiles coming into the fold of God because we're going to see them come over because of the witness of the Jews, a servant girl. We're going to see Naaman come to Israel and give his life to God. Watch this. It's pretty amazing. Naaman, and he's a commander of the army of the king of Syria. Now Syria is like 130 miles north or excuse me, it's north of Israel. Damascus is 130 miles north of Jerusalem. Syria is a very important place even today. See, Syria is where the Russians are amassing Muslim nations right now to attack the northern border of Israel. If you looked at Ezekiel 38, you would see that that's going on. They've been there for about 15 years waiting to attack Israel. God knows where they're at, and Russia's been training them with their weapons for years. <coughs> Excuse me. So Syria is still important. Now, he's a commander in the army of the king of Syria. He was great. He was a great and honorable man in the eyes of his master, who is the king of Syria. Because, why? Why is he a great and honorable man for? Because by him... The Lord, notice who, how did he do what he did? The Lord. Even this pagan Gentile, even this commander, the Lord allowed to win wars, had given him victory to Syria. He was also a mighty man of valor, contrast, but a leper. He had leprosy. Now watch this. The Lord allowed him to be great. The Lord allowed him to be honored by his master. The Lord allowed him to have great victory and give it to Syria, this pagan nation. Listen, nobody wins wars. Nobody fights. Nobody is honorable or great unless God gives it to them. That does not mean that they obey God. Nobody can breathe unless God gives them life. Anything that we have, we should give God glory for it because he gives every good and perfect gift. Now, he doesn't want the evil in our life. He doesn't want the sin in our life. He wants us to hide his word that we would not sin against him. But every breath we take is a gift from God. We're not guaranteed life. And so even with this Gentile who is a leper and has been given victory in the armies, and so his master sees him as a great man and honorable, rich, wealthy. He's got uh, plenty of strength. Mighty man of valor. But he has leprosy. Now, leprosy then was not like today. I think biblically we probably see that leprosy had all whole kinds of skin diseases uh, mixed into the pot. They would just call everything leprosy. Today, uh, uh, we separate them out a little bit, and, and we have different things that are called leprosy. 
But notice this, that leprosy in the Bible is a type of sin. It isn't always caused by sin, but sometimes it is. Leprosy, you were unclean. You had to be separated from other people. And with leprosy, you couldn't be in the company of everybody else because it was very contagious. People were afraid of it. So we know now that possibly, remember it's a pagan nation, they weren't following the same laws as Jews would over uh, leprosy. Possibly his leprosy is not real bad at this moment because he's still a commander. He still has strength. He's still leading the armies. And leprosy would consume your life and destroy you. You begin to lose body parts. And um, again, you know, if you were a Jew, they had to stay away from everybody else outside the city. They, were, they couldn't be around anybody. If you came within 100 feet of somebody, you had to yell, unclean, unclean. But this isn't so in Syria. And so as you see this, maybe it's beginning to get bad. Maybe he's talking, and I, I hate to interject, maybe he's talking about his career and his strength is waning because of leprosy. Listen, if it's a type of sin, listen to me. When you allow sin to permeate your life, it begins to kill you. It'll zap your strength. It'll make your bones weak. It will attack you, and it always full-blown leads to death. That's what sin is. It's the wages of sin is death. And so the same way with leprosy, and no one really ever could heal it. And no one can even now today except for God. That's the only way you're going to get healed of sin, the blood of Jesus. And the only way you're going to get healed of leprosy is if God heals it. Nobody else can do that. So now let's watch. Verse 2. And the Syrians had gone out on raids and brought back captive a young girl from the land of Israel. She waited on Naaman's wife. Now notice what we see. Because somebody could say, oh, this is terrible. These people went out and took slave girls. Well, they went out on rage, probably Naaman leading them. And he was the one that was, was and they were getting more strong and more strong until they're going to come in and God's going to use them to attack Israel and get them to cry out to him. And when they went out on these raids, they brought back this young girl who was an Israelite. And she was a slave to Naaman's wife. So she's in Naaman's household, right? Think about this for a minute. Because she could have been bitter. She could have been mad. She could have been saying, I'm a slave. Wait, I'll sneak up and I'll get you. But listen, she was a woman who was in this house doing what she was called to do. And she was a witness of the God of Israel. Listen, we are on this planet. This is not our home. Right? And no matter what's going on in our life, we have to remember we're called to be witnesses to the power of God, the work of God, the blood of Jesus, the saving knowledge of Jesus, because we're still children of God. Now, let's go to verse 3. Then she said to her mistress, now she could have, she could have just remained silent, like most Christians do. If only... My master were with the prophet who is in Samaria, for he would heal him of his leprosy. What a witness! If only you would come to Jesus, Jesus would heal you of your sin. If you would come to Jesus when he heals you of your sin, 
He would also heal you of your fear and your lack of faith and your unbelief. If you truly come to Jesus, he takes all these things from you. Notice she wasn't trying to get out of her place. She was trying to be a witness of God and of the life-giving power of the word of God that was in Jerusalem. See, the prophet is always bringing the word of God. The prophet's always bringing the truth of God. And the prophet was held in great esteem because people knew that the prophet could do miracles because of God. And this girl could have been bitter. She could have been mad. She could have been selfish. She could have said, I hope he dies. But even her enemy or her master, she tells his wife how he can be healed. So watch this. And Naaman went, so evidently Naaman's wife tells Naaman, and Naaman went in and told his master, the king, saying, thus and thus said the girl who is from the land of Israel. So he goes in and tells the king who, who, who is uh, uh, his, his lord or his master, and... Um, he was honored in front of the king of Syria. So then verse 5, the king of Syria said, so we know who the master is, go now and I will send a letter to the king of Israel. Listen to that. Did you see it? I want to read it again. I want you to see it. Verse 5, then the king of Syria said, so the king of Syria gets the news. He says, wow. Go now, and I will send a letter to the king of Israel. Do you get that? He didn't say, I'll send a letter to the prophet. He didn't say, go to the prophet. He's going to go to the king. This is the mistake. Listen, when people come to America, if they listen to the government or the king, they're not really seeing what America's about. America is supposed to be a Christian nation who's founded on the word of God because of the God of the Bible. And you need to come to Jesus, not to the king. You need to come to Jesus, not to the pastor of the church. You need to come to Jesus, not to a movement. You need to come to Jesus, to the word of God, and hide the word of God in your heart that you might not sin against God. Here in this word is how to be saved. There's people that can help you, that can lead you, that can guide you, that can be a messenger and a helper, but people need to come to Jesus. And what does the king do? He makes a mistake because he's not paying attention. Think about it. Pagan nation, Syria, the king, he's like, I'm in control of everything. And this nation, so I will send a letter to the king who should be in control of everything in that nation. And he makes his mistake because the servant girl didn't say, I wish he'd seen the king in, in Israel because then he'd be healed. The servant girl told them that if he could get to the prophet, which is where the word of God comes from, then he would be healed. You have to go to God's instrument. You have to go to what God is using. His provision for the sin nature is the blood of Jesus. His provision to get the poison out of the pot is to continue to go to Jesus. His provision for you to come back into the family of God is to realize that the reason we were kicked out of the family of God, out of the garden, was disobedience to his word. And now if we truly come back to God, and we believe in his provision of the blood, we come back to learn to obey the word of God. 
And if we don't have any desire to obey the word of God and to follow God, then we're probably not saved. So pay attention. The direction has to be right, but the devil always wants to get in the way of the direction. Get him to the word of God. Get him to the provision of God. He's the one that saves. And then the devil always wants you to go to a leader, to somebody else. He always wants to get you someplace else. Think about it. He's sending letters. God has sent us a love letter. This Bible is a love letter. And that's why we need to read it. And the second part of chapter or verse 5 is, So he departed. He's been sent. He's told to go to the king with a letter. He departed. And look what he does. He took with him 10 talents of silver. A talent was 75 pounds. That means he took 750 pounds of silver, 6,000 shekels of gold. That's 150 pounds of gold. And 10 changes of clothing. Most people have one change of clothing. 10 changes is a lot of money. Then he brought the letter to the king of Israel, which said, Now be advised... When this letter comes to you, that I have sent Naaman, my servant, to you, that you may heal him of his leprosy. That's what the letter said. Listen to me. Do you see what he's doing? Look at all of this money. People will give great money for their health. We give doctors money, 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 money to take care of our health. Physically, we're all going to die. A hundred percent of people die. What about spiritually? What will a man give in exchange for his own soul? Listen to me. Because we should be worried about our spiritual soul. I, I'm not saying ignore your health. You know, not ignore your physical self. But the first and most important thing to God is your spiritual soul. Your salvation. And look how much money they're going to give just to get rid of this leprosy. They're bringing all of this money to, and, and, and maybe not to buy, maybe not to buy, maybe to honor them when the healing is done. But you cannot buy salvation. It's already been purchased by the blood of Jesus. All you can do is receive it freely. Now again, notice we're going to the king. Maybe he thought the king was going to... Uh, Tell the prophet what to do. And he's taken all of his riches with him to try to get rid of his leprosy. And if we compare that to sin, listen to me. It must be God's provision. Man can't do it. It must be the blood of Jesus. Verse 7. And it happened. What happened, Greg? And it happened when the king of Israel read the letter that he tore his clothes and said, Am I God to kill and make alive that this man sends me, or sends a man to me to heal him of his leprosy? Therefore, please consider and see how he seeks to quarrel with me. See, he sees this earthly central demonic wisdom as the king of Syria picking a fight to go to war. Notice the king knew that nobody could heal leprosy except for God. 
He said, am I God? He tears his clothes. This is a sign of, of, of remorse, of mourning, of great tragedy. He's like, I can't heal this man. I can't make him alive. You know, do you see the honesty? Wouldn't it be nice if our leaders today would have such honesty? See, the problem is, is that they are dishonest. The problem is they want to lie to us on every news briefing and on everything that they do so that they can usurp power over us. What if the president got on TV and said, hey, we don't know what COVID is and we don't know how to help you. Fend for yourself because these guys are all over the place. What if they were really honest about what's going on? Hey, wear a mask because we're conditioning you to take the mark. The mask is only one letter different than the mark. What if they said, hey, get a vaccine because it's really aminotherapy and it's not really a vaccine. We just don't want you to sue people when thousands of people die getting a vaccine. Or they have injury and pain and suffering. What if they really were honest with us? Because listen to me, our leaders are just men. Now there's a bunch of them that might have demons now. They might have demons in them leading them because of death culture and because the devil is trying to completely take over. But this king at least was honest. He read the letter and he said, I'm not God. I can't do this. He said, he must be trying to pick a fight with me because he's asking me to do something that I can't figure out how to do and only God could do it. So really, it would be really nice if our leaders today were this honest. You know, it's really important that we be honest. If somebody asks you a question and you don't know, you should say, I don't know, but let's look in the Bible and find an answer. But see, we just keep making up truth today, and you can't do that. You can't steer an entire country by making up truth. Because what you end up, when the blind lead the blind, you both end up in a ditch. When you just make it up as you go, when you just mix up another sorcery batch of medicine and tell people to take it. Listen, I don't know if you know, but it actually says in the Bible that the same word for sorcery and witchcraft is pharmakeia. It's the same word we get pharmacy from. And it's the same thing. In fact, I was talking with a friend of mine today. They're actually doing that not just with your medicine. And not all medicine is bad, but most is. They're not just doing it with your medicine, but they're doing that same sorcery in your food. They're putting it in our food with GMOs and with doctoring the seeds that God has left. And they're changing it. They're genetically modifying it with their sorcery. And it's where most of our sicknesses and cancers come from is their sorcery to make money, to deceive us, to do what they want to do. You know, it was no accident when the governor of Michigan during lockdown would not let people buy seeds to plant gardens. They don't want you to be able to plant good food and take care of yourself and sustain yourself. Listen to me. We have to wake up that they're lying to us. In fact, look what, you know, let's just go there. If our people, if they were to go to Revelation chapter 18, if they were actually honest with us, we wouldn't be deceived. We would be able to make a 
wise, rational choice. But look what Revelation 18 says about this. If you want to know what's going on on the planet, 1823 uh, tells us this very clearly. That's why I tell you, learn the word of God, hide it in your heart. 1823b is where we want to be, but let's just read from 1823. The light of a lamp shall not shine in you anymore, America, Babylon, and the voice of the bridegroom and bride shall not be heard in you anymore. Probably rapture of the church, the bride and the bridegroom, the spirit of God taken out because the church is taken out. Now, why is that? For your merchants were the great men of the earth. Listen, who's our merchants right now? The great men of the earth, the Elon Musk, the George Soros, the ones that are making the, the what they call a vaccine. It's really aminotherapies. It's really, it's not a vaccine at all. Look at it. It's the merchants were the great men of the earth. Who are these rich people? The ones that run Amazon, the ones that run uh, uh, Facebook and Twitter. These are the ones that are controlling everything right now. And for by your sorcery, pharmacia, your pharmacy, all the nations were deceived. Not just America. See, this is about the whole world. It's not just about America. But all the nations were deceived. And in her was found the blood of the prophets and saints and of all who were slain on the earth. Listen, this is what's going on is total deception through sorcery. And it's not just pharmacy, but true witchcraft and sorcery because they are worshiping the devil. They are led by demons. They are actually trying to get us to follow a satanic cult. They're worshiping Baal. We're going to see in a minute this text that we're in is going to speak of the god, small g, Rimon. And we're going to see that Rimon was the god that, that, that worries about the storms and climate change and the culture. That's the god they're serving. One of them, one of the many gods, look back at chapter 5. See, if they were honest with us, they would tell us the truth about their sorcery, but they want to deceive us. So we have to look to God. We have to find out what is going on. God says, my people perish for lack of knowledge. We need to know him and know that he will protect us from leprosy. He will protect us from COVID. We are indestructible until God is finished with us. And listen to me. Dying is not a bad thing. Why do we think it's a bad thing? If we know life, if we know Jesus Christ, to be absent from the bodies, to be present with the Lord. That's what all of life is about. That's what everything is about that we know that exists, is to be for eternity with our God who loves us so much that he died for us and rose again on the third day. That's what everything about life is about, coming to know him and being with him. It's John 17, 3. You don't have to turn there. I'll read it to you. You can write it down, though, and look at it and rehearse it later. John 17, 3. I have it memorized, but I like to read it personally. Um, Jesus praying to the Father. 
and he wants he says to, to restore him to where he was before he come and took birth in a virgin and he says and this is eternal life that they may know you talking about the father and the only true god and jesus christ whom you have sent that's eternal life this is what everything is about to come to know this God. And the only way you can do it is by the provision of his blood. And then by the continuation of that provision as he takes the poison out of us. What's that poison? It's that rebellion. Where we continue to chase ourselves, We chase the world. We chase the devil. And we think that we know better than God. And it would do us well to listen to the counsel of his word. To listen to people who know his word. You know, one of the one of the things, like, you ever watch somebody play chess? Say, uh-huh, I did, Greg. You know, when you're watching somebody play chess, if you know how to play chess, or checkers, if you want to be a little more simple about it, you're watching, and those two people are looking at each other, and they have a different vantage point of the board. And so they don't see the checkmate move. They don't see the simple move that you see. But when you're over here, you can see these perfect lanes and these perfect moves and if you could counsel them, you say, don't move there. They're going to put you in checkmate. And that's what God does with leaders in the church, with his word, with his spirit. He has a different vantage point. He's looking down. And he sees everything. And he says, don't do that. Listen, I'm going to provide for you. I'll take care of you. Hide my word in your heart. Sometimes it looks a mess. I was talking with a mother today. Who lost her son when he was 25 and they haven't been back to church since then and they said they're not mad at God but I tried to encourage them that that's where God counsels and helps and leads us and and we talked about how you know if you look at an embroidery or a, or a, a, a crocheted rug if you look at it from the backside it looks like a tangled mess but if you turn it around and look at it from the other side it's a beautiful tapestry. And that's what God does. He's looking. We're looking at the backside. God's looking down at the top side. He knows what he wants to do. He knows the beautiful tapestry of your life. He knows how to weave it in and put people in your life that can help you with the word of God. And all of us are supposed to be ministering to one another. And when we listen and obey, even when we don't like it, God changes our lives. I remember being with my pastor. I was probably in the first year of my salvation. And he was saying something. I go, whoa, 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 Tom Camp. I go, don't say that. I said, if I mess up, you tell me. If I do something wrong, you tell me. I want to know about it because I'll con myself and con you out of salvation. See, that's what our nature does. We want to do everything to take the easy route and ignore the word of God and the spirit of God and then feel like we're still okay. But just dressing up in nice clothes and going to church doesn't make us okay. We need to hide the word of God in our heart. We need to obey the word of God. And we need to confess when we're not and allow him to keep washing us and cleansing us and teaching us to obey the word of God. And he takes the poison out of the pot. And we learn to eat good food when that happens and to give him everything. Everything. So, the king, who has no way of healing leprosy, thinks that the king of Syria wants to go to war and defeat him. 
And you know, listen to me. That's not far from truth. We are at war. The devil wants to destroy us. And he wants us to listen to his way of curing leprosy. He wants us to follow his path and to think that we can go all over the place and do things. And he wants us to stay in our greatness. Remember, Naaman's a great man. He wants us to stay in our greatness and to believe our press press clips and think that everybody is, is thinking of us. And he wants us to keep following our ways and never surrender and begin to follow his ways. Let's keep moving. We are in verse 8. 2 Kings 5, 8. So it was, transition statement, when Elisha, the man of God, heard that the king of Israel had torn his clothes, that he sent, the king, sent to the king saying, Why have you torn your clothes? Please let him come to me, and he shall know that there is a prophet in Israel. Wow, listen to this now. Listen. We're talking of kings. Kings of nations. Rulers. And we're talking of commanders of great armies that are going to defeat countries. But notice the position. Elisha, which means God is salvation. That's what Elisha means. Notice his position. Man of God. Listen to me. Man of God. That's a greater title than kings. That's a greater title than commanders. That's a greater title than being great and honorable in the sight of an earthly master. Notice what the Holy Spirit calls him. The man of God. The woman of God. See, this is what's important to you and I. Earthly titles mean nothing. You have a PhD behind your name that means permanent head damage. You've been taught something by man that is going to kill you. Man of God and woman of God. Child of God. That's a great title. Because you believed in the blood of God that covers your sins. Notice Elisha. He doesn't ignore the king because the king tore his clothes. He doesn't ignore the lost because the lost think they're great. Elisha, the word of God came. That's where the prophet comes, brings the word of God. Listen, Jesus died for whomsoever. And the word of God is available and will come to rescue anybody who is in a terrible plight. But you have to let the word of God rescue you. You have to let Jesus be your provision. You have to have faith in this word. Watch. Contrast it. Elisha has faith. The king has no faith. Elisha knows God. The king does not know God. Sadly, the king of Samaria. But remember, Samaria is the northern kingdoms. Samaria is worshiping golden calves. So they have no personal relationship with God. They have no faith in God. He's looking at his own power. How can I heal this man? Well, you could have prayed for him. You could have told him about God. You could have introduced him to God. You could have said Jesus died and rose again. He didn't know that then. We know it now. I'm bringing it into our day's culture. Notice the young girl who was a simple simple witness. That's how Naaman gets here. That's how we're in this place. Elisha is a man of God. A child of God who brings the word of God. 
he heard about the trouble the nation was having and he wanted to help with the power of God. See, when people tell me they don't get involved in politics, when people tell me they don't get involved in things, all through the Bible, God has sent his people to come and tell them truth because truth rescues countries. Oh, it rescues first souls, and that's what the gospel's for, each soul one at a time. But when each of those souls get involved with the people around them, it rescues entire households, neighborhoods, cities, states, and countries. And yes, the world, because the gospel was for the world. Christ so loved the world. God so loved the world that he gave his son. So when the man of God heard there was a problem, he wanted to help. He didn't want the king to be in distress. He didn't want his nation to look like it was scared. He wanted them to trust God. And he said, tell him to come to me, and then he shall know that there is a prophet in Israel. He actually said to the king, quit whining and start shining. Quit trusting in yourself and start telling people about the God you serve. And that's what we should do. You know, when, when something happens in our life and we go, oh, no, it's oh, woe is me. We tear our clothes, we grieve, we mourn. No, wait a minute. Stop whining and start telling people about Jesus, about the Word of God. Look to the Word of God for answers. That's what the Word of God is telling the king to do. Verse 9, then Naaman went with his, look what he does. Then Naaman went with his horses and chariots. Now, horses and chariots are a sign of power. Remember, he's a great man. He trusted his stuff. He brought a whole bunch of gold and silver and clothing. Is that what we're going to trust in? Is that what we're bringing to the Word of God? I bring nothing but a broken and contrite heart to the Word of God. I bring nothing but a sin nature asking God to heal me. Listen to me. Naaman went in all of his pomp. And he stood at the door of Elisha's house. Elisha means God is salvation. The door is Jesus Christ. He's the door out of this world and into heaven. He's the gate. And many people will bring all their power and their might and their gold and their riches. And they'll stand at that door in their pride and in their greatness. And in all of their achievements, they'll stand at the door. And never enter in. And Jesus says, Behold, I stand at your door and knock. And if any man will open the door, I will come into him and dine with him and he with me. But it's up to us to open the door. Watch what Naaman does. And Elisha, God is salvation, sent a messenger to him. Ooh. Isn't that what we are? He said, Go and tell everyone. Go and make disciples of all nations. Go and be that messenger, that witness. He said, go, excuse me, and say, go and wash in the Jordan seven times and your flesh shall be restored to you and you shall be clean. Isn't that pretty powerful? Go and wash in the Jordan. The Jordan um, would represent the Holy Spirit. It's water. But you have to descend. It's the, the actual word, the Jordan, means descender. It's one who descends. And he says, do it seven times, which would mean complete. Seven times. Could have meant once a week for seven weeks. But it means to keep dipping until it's complete. 
and your flesh will be restored. The leprosy will be healed. The sin will be the sin nature will be taken away when you obey the word of God, the provision of God. God has spoken. There's salvation in no other name but in the name of Jesus. So wash and be clean. But, look at verse 11, proud great Naaman with all of his money and his horses and his chariots, he's conquered nations. But Naaman became furious. He's angry. And went away and said, indeed, I said to myself, Notice where he got his counsel at, from self. I said to myself, see, we come to God and we think God's going to do this and God's going to do that. We come to God to surrender and expect nothing else. He will provide for all your needs according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. He counseled himself and he said, surely he will come out to me. This man of God will come out to me and he will stand and call on the name of the Lord, his God. Notice it wasn't Naaman's God. And wave his hands all over the place with some hocus pocus and heal my leprosy. There'll be clouds parting. Since I'm a great man and I'm honored among my God and my king, he's going to come out and wave his hands all over and make a great show and a circus out of it. Surely he will do that and call on the name. Notice it's a name again. Name means authority, character, nature, and will. And that is the name we need to call on, the name of Jesus. But we don't have to go through all this circus. We don't have to wave our hands. We have to believe in our heart and confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and that God raised him from the dead. Notice the thing that he needs to do. He needs to obey the word of God to be saved. The word of God tells us to believe in Jesus. Trust our spiritual well-being to Jesus. But his expectations is that he has to do some fancy work. Think about it. If he had told him, kill a bear, fight a nation. Here, put this knife in your mouth and wrestle this man, this nine-foot giant to the ground. And I'll heal your leprosy. Give me all your money. If he could do something. Listen, you can do nothing for salvation except believe. But if you believe, now you need to obey. Verse 12, and he says, Are not the Abaddon, the Abaddon is a river in Damascus. It might mean stony. And the far, far, which means swift and rapid. The rivers of Damascus, better than all the waters of Israel? No, they're not. Could I not wash in them and be clean? So he turned and went away in a rage. This guy's not just mad. He's in a rage. Now listen to me because I get this a lot. I tell people, get in the word, prayer, and fellowship. Read your Bible. Uh, 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 listen to counsel. And confess your sin. And they go, well, can I just go to a 12-step program? Can I just read a book? Can I just get in this water or that water or go to that church? No, you have to come to Jesus. It can't be just any way you think. There's a way that seems right in a man's heart, but in its way is death. The Bible tells us in Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. But people want to lean on their own understanding. 
See, he said, I will do, I, I knew that I, I, he would come out and do this, this, and this. And if he doesn't do this, this, and this, I'm not going to believe him. Listen, God is not a genie in a bottle. God is not a God that you can understand his ways. When he tells you to believe a certain way, when he says truth, we believe because he first loved us. But he, we believe because he's God. His ways are right. He spoke and created the heavens and the earth. And if his word tells us to do something, listen, just because you don't receive the results instantly, just because you don't understand it does not mean that it's not true. Just obey it and wait for God to bring the fruit, to bring life out of it. But many times we think, well, isn't the Mormons, isn't Catholics, isn't, you fill in the blank, Muslims, isn't Jehovah Witnesses just as good? Isn't that a river? Can't we just dip in that? No. It's deception. God said to dip in the Jordan. God said to believe in Jesus. God said there's salvation in no other name. So we, in our hearts, in our pride, in our own ways, we want to go do it our way. And God says, no, you have to do it my way. Listen to counsel. 13. And his servant came near. This is good because he listens to this servant. There's a servant with him who's got some wisdom or, moves by, or is moved by the Spirit of God. He came near and spoke to him and said, My father, which just means, you know, the leader here, if the prophet had told you to do something great, would you not have done it? How much more then when he says to you, Wash and be clean? Just simply wash and be clean. Nothing you can do except believe and trust God. You know, even in uh, the book of Ephesians, talking about marriage, Paul tells us, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. So he gives the comparison of how Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. He died, gave himself up for her that he might, uh, wait a minute, I lost my track. Husbands, love your wife as Christ loved the church and gave himself up that he might sanctify, set her apart, cleanse her, wash her through the washing of the water through the word. So the spirit of God and the word of God go together. Here's the word of God. Go to the Jordan and dip. And now you have to go get in the water and dip seven times till it's complete. And it's not complete until we see Jesus face to face. So he hears this counsel, verse 14, it says, So he went down and dipped seven times in the Jordan. What if he only dipped two times? Think about it. What if he only dipped three times? What if he stopped it five times and his skin was not yet restored? Watch this. Seven times. He did it all seven times. He obeyed completely. In the Jordan, be like telling somebody to go dip in the Wabash, according to the saying of the man of God, not according to the king of Syria, not according to the king of Israel, but according to the word of God. And his flesh was restored like the flesh of a little child, and he was clean. Isn't that amazing? We come to God as little children. And we're made clean. And it's funny, in the King James, restored is come again. 
it come again back to him, just as a little child. The leprosy was healed. Miracle was done. Why? Because he obeyed the word of God. When people's lives change, it's because they obey the word of God. And the first place is to believe God for a salvator, for a savior, for Jesus Christ. And then you believe upon that blood that was spilled as an atoning sacrifice. And you become in the position of God. Now this man, perfectly standing before them, skin was as little child again. As a young man, as a youth. And he was made clean. Now can you think of how powerful that was? What did he do then, Greg? Verse 15. Because he was made clean by obeying the word of God, he went back to the place, to the man of God. See, that's why the witness and the word of God is so important. We would never got to the word of God if there wasn't a witness in Syria that was serving and told somebody about the prophet in Israel. So he returns to the man of God. Great title, man of God. Wouldn't it be nice to be called a woman of God or a man of God? He and all of his aides, notice this, he's got aides following him. He's got people that are carrying all the gold and the silver on their horses, the clothing. They're taking care of him. He's a great man of honor. And he decides to obey, dips seven times, and then he skin comes back to him. So he comes back. Same word, returned, means to come again. His aides are with him, and he came and stood before him, before the man of God. See, the man of God didn't come out before. Now the man of God is there because he obeyed. You draw near to God, he draws near to you. You begin to get into the word of God, the word of God will come to you. See, before he just sent a messenger. But now it's becoming personal. He comes and stands because he's starting to believe. Now he has faith. His faith is growing. How does faith grow? Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. But you don't just hear it. You hear it with a desire to obey it. And then when you go obey it, it grows your faith because you see that it's true. That's how faith grows. It doesn't grow just because you heard it. You go, wow, that's good. No, it grows when you take it, you own it, you obey it. And then you go, God really did it. Then your faith grows because now you know you can trust him for the next thing and the next thing and the next thing. And faith becomes real to you. But if you never take it and go obey and you stay great in your own eyes and you ignore it, the counsel, your faith doesn't grow. You trust in kings. You trust in other people, but you never trust in the word of God, the man of God, the savior that God sent. Now he's standing before him and he said, here, listen to his witness. Indeed, now I know that there is no God in all the earth except in Israel. Notice this. This is true saving faith because he's not giving the credit to the prophet. He hears it from the prophet. He hears it from the servant. But he said, I'm giving the credit to God. This was a miracle by God. When I obeyed your word, God changed my life. God healed me of my leprosy. Listen, when you obey God's word, 
no matter who brought you the message, no matter who the ambassador was, God will heal your sin. That's the most important thing because we're spiritual beings. And he says, now I know that there is no God in all the earth except in Israel. You know what's interesting? The word Israel means those governed by God. That's what it means. Now, therefore, please take a gift from your servant. So he tries to give him all this money that he bought. No, no, now listen. He didn't try to give it to him to get clean. He tried to give it to him because he was clean. And the heart of a person who's clean, the heart of a person who has faith, is to give everything they got to God. It all belongs to him anyway. It doesn't mean that he's going to take it. He doesn't need it. He's not broke. So the man of God, the word of God says, no, I don't want any of it. Watch this. He didn't do it because of that. He did it to have fellowship and did it to give faith and did it to bring salvation. But he said, as the Lord lives, God's always alive. He's not dead. Before whom I stand. So he told him, you're standing before me. This man's standing before him. But the prophet stands before God, who is alive. I will receive nothing. And he urged him to take it, but he refused. Absolutely refused. Can't be paid for salvation. You can't buy salvation. Just surrender to it. So Naaman said, listen to this. This is amazing. Listen to what Naaman says, and we'll close. I know we're way into this. Naaman, pleasantness, said, then if not, please. Now he's actually, listen, this great commander's saying please to the word of God. And thank you. There's some thankfulness here. Let your servant, now I'm your servant, word of God, be given two mule loads of earth. What? The, the amount of earth from Israel that a mule could carry Two mule loads of earth for your servant will no longer offer either burnt offerings or sacrifice to other gods, but to the Lord. So what does he say? This ain't my home no more. I might be going back to Syria, but I want some ground from here. Listen to me. Would to God that Christians would realize that this is not our home and that we would want mule loads of heaven. We would want to stand in heaven. We would want to be in heaven. We would have breathed the air of heaven. And we would not sacrifice anymore to any other thing down here because we know that we're pilgrims here, that we're mere passerbyers, and that there's no other God but the God of Israel. And there's salvation in no other name. He's not concerned about that money anymore. He wants some dirt from Israel. Because he wants to stand on holy ground. And he's not going to worship other gods. But then he says, forgive me of this. See, because we're in this world still and we're going to do things that are wrong. Notice this, he thought ahead. He knew what was going to happen. He knew where he worked at and what his king was going to tell him to do. Yet in this thing, may the Lord pardon. Forgive me, your servant. When my master goes into the temple of Ramon to worship there, and he leans on my hand, and I bow down in the temple of Ramon. When I bow down in the temple of Ramon, 
May the Lord please forgive me. Pardon your servant in this thing. Isn't that amazing? He thinks ahead and he says, forgive me because I know it's going to happen. Because I've got to take care of my family and this is still my position on this earth. Forgive me if I'm commanded by an earthly ruler to do this thing. But my heart is with you, God. And again, there's Ramon, the God of wind and rain and storms. And that's what climate change is all about. It's not just about money redistribution, which you'll see somebody that's secular say, but it's about worshiping Mother Nature. It's about worshiping and, 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 and giving back to these storms instead of just serving God and trusting God. And then verse 19, and we'll close after he asked for forgiveness of this thing. Then he said to him, go in peace. So he departed from him a short distance. I want to stay close to the word of God. He said, go in peace. Why? Because just as Romans 5.1 says, Jesus has brought peace with us to God. Peace with God. See, we were enemies to God. But when we believe in God by faith, we have peace with God. And then we can have the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding by surrendering. Listen, he dipped. He continued to dip. He obeyed the word of God. And it made him new as a child of God. His skin. Are you obeying God? Do you have a heart to obey God? Do you want to be washed and cleansed and made new? Believe in God's provision. He wants to take the poison away. He wants to give you food to eat and water to drink. He wants to give you a couple mule loads of heaven. So you'll get a taste of what it's like and you'll want to desire to always be there with him. Surrender to him. We'll continue on with it next week, God willing. Because it gets ugly because another man of God chooses the money over the obedience. Chooses the money over heavenly riches. Gehazi falls way short and begins to lie and deceive and has a greedy heart. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the New Testament hidden in the Old Testament. Thank you that Gentiles are brought into the fold because of the blood of the Lamb. Thank you that we can dip and be clean. Thank you for dipping your blood and sprinkling it on the altar in heaven. Help us to continue to dip into the Holy Spirit and to be overflowing with your spirit. Give us a desire to be in your word and to eat, to open the door and let you come in and dine with us. Lord, help us to hear your counsel and not to listen to the counsel of the world. Wash us, Lord, and make us clean until the day we see you face to face. We give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. The Lord bless you.